Hello and welcome back to the Metropolitan Culture Corner. This month I have the pleasure of presenting a special guest whose career I have watched grow from afar. Sometimes you see someone start off with a dream and then you see them take it all the way to fruition and it's quite an inspiring sight. This is one of those cases. Our guest this month is Jessica Craig, literary agent and founder of Craig Literary. Her publishing career started more than 20 years ago when she took a job as a literary scout in New York after having graduated from Columbia University. She later moved to Edinburgh to work for a legendary independent publishing house called Canongate Books, where she was responsible for coordinating with publishers in 40 countries. Jessica then moved to London, where she helped found the company United Agents and managed translation rights for a wide range of authors on the international market. Then she came to beautiful Barcelona, where she grew established authors' careers and launched new ones at the Fontes Agency until she branched off to start her own literary agency in her apartment in Barcelona in 2016. She began with only six clients and now she works with 36, I don't have that many fingers, 36 authors representing all kinds of literary genres, all different nationalities, all different backgrounds, each with their own unique stories to tell. The authors that she works with write both fiction and non-fiction and tend to explore, in Jessica's own words, globally relevant themes that transport the reader on a surprising journey across boundaries of culture and sometimes even of genre, storytelling that dismantles walls and builds bridges, challenging and deepening the reader's understanding of self and other of society, language, art, and humanity. Now you can see why I'm excited to present this woman's work to you. Thank you for tuning in to the Metropolitan Culture Corner, and please give a warm welcome to Jessica Craig of Craig Literary. Thanks for being with us on the Metropolitan Culture Corner. For those who don't know, what exactly is a literary agent? There's so many different functions or hats and roles we perform, but I think the most fundamental role is managing and guiding an author's career, their journey into getting published. And that can hopefully continue on over many books. And so that is an obligation and a responsibility of many different kinds. I mean, but primarily it's actually a kind of financial responsibility. I mean, the payments for an author from their publisher or from any third party relating to their book come through the agent and a major part of sustaining the author's livelihood. But then there are so many other things around that that have, I guess, emotional components um, as well. So there's like a very straightforward businessy side, but then there's also you are basically the most essential to kind of be there consistently for the writer. It can take on a lot of different dimensions depending on what the writer is going through while they're writing their book or more and more it can depend on, I don't know, what their editor is going through while the writer is writing the book. You end up being the psychologist for everybody. Yeah, roughly I have come to see it as, as a kind of project manager for every project that the writer embarks on. What led you to want to work in literature in the first place? From the first age that I could read, been a passionate reader, and that's how I was led to a career in literature. The big shift was discovering that I wanted to be an agent more than anything else in the publishing industry. And then what led you eventually to come to Barcelona? Well, it was for a job. I had been living and working in London for almost 10 years, up until 2014. And I was working for one of the biggest agencies in London called United Agents and had been a founding member of that agency. And so I don't know, always thought that would be the place that 
I would want to stay until I retired someday. And all of a sudden in 2014, I just started to feel kind of stifled there and just like I was losing kind of fundamental passion for my work because the agency was getting bigger and bigger and my workload was exponentially increasing and getting much more like admin heavy and less creative and that's when I started actually connecting with authors directly and signing up writers to represent as their primary agent. And there was an agency in Barcelona called the Pontus Agency that hired me away from United Agents to grow in the way that I wanted to grow, basically. And it involved leaving the UK and moving to Barcelona, which, I mean, I just never dreamt would be a decision I would have the privilege of making. And it turned out to be a whole change in my life, as well as a new direction in my career. <laughs> And then it's a huge leap to then start your own agency. So why decide to do that instead of find a different job? Or if you wanted to go yet another direction, why decide, no, 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 I'm going to do this by myself? Um, the short answer is that it was because of my authors, the authors that I already had been working with, a couple of whom had followed me over from the agency in the UK. I realized over those years of starting out their careers that I certainly didn't want to leave them. I mean, the way things were, I could have potentially hooked up with a different agency and I sort of thought of doing that, but the more that I thought about it and also in talking to the authors I was working with, I realized I was at a stage in my life and that they had so much confidence in me setting up my own shop and wanting that independence and, and also just trust that there would be no larger corporate decisions or like bosses that would in any way limit my ability to keep working for them. It was a huge shift though. I mean, I never had envisioned that I would become an entrepreneur, that I would set up a company, that I would want to like have that massive responsibility, but also I think the main reason that people continue working for companies is the reliability of like a monthly paycheck and it kind of terrified me to like step away from that onto the other side but it actually was the most liberating and empowering thing that I've ever done. I mean I work harder than ever and for less of an income but I'm happier doing my work than I ever was before and um yeah. Very cool. Life lesson, I guess, right? Mm. Um, you're based here, but you've traveled for book fairs and literary conferences in London and Frankfurt. So I think there's a popular conception or misconception that it would be really helpful for an agency to be based, for example, in London, in New York. So these days with technology, with semi-affordable plane travel, does it matter where your agency is based? Can you still do the same work for your authors from Spain as from, for example, New York City? Yes. And that was another thing that I never would have believed before, especially during the years that I was living and working in the center of publishing power in New York and then in London. But that's the best thing that I discovered during the pandemic, especially. I mean, I had been working from home before that, but that's when the rest of the industry really changed over to that model of working. 
And even though now, I mean, especially in the bigger companies, people are having to go back to the office, it's still, especially in US and, and UK publishing, there are so many people who are continuing to work from home, work remotely. So in a way, I feel like lucky that I had become comfortable and and confident in working that way. Everyone else kind of had to figure it out. But I know that it wouldn't have been viable for me to start my agency in Spain if I hadn't put in all of those years in London and New York and built up the network that I have. And so it's not like anyone could just decide, oh, I want to live in Spain and start a literary agency. I mean, you'd need to have built up a career, I think, before then in order to make that choice. And how do you find new authors? What is it in a manuscript that makes you think, okay, this is something <laughs> I feel super excited about, but also someone I can work with and someone I can help make successful on a professional level? I'm sure yeah. every hiring author watching this right now is like, that's the question I want to know. Yes. <laughs> Okay, I'll do my best to answer it. I mean, it is such a subjective, and in a way, that's the part of being an agent that I love the most when you do have that kind of primal, really quite immediate sense of connection to a new voice, a new work that you're reading in usually a very early stage, like a first draft, for example. I mean, I actually think it's better if an author revises their work several times before even querying an agent. So hopefully it's not the first draft, hopefully it's maybe the third or fourth draft. But I think it's a kind of confidence of the writer in the story they're telling in the way that they've found or chosen to tell it. But then it just also comes down to a kind of taste, just connecting with the characters, the plot, the voice or the style of the writing. I mean, I don't usually decide from just reading one page whether I'm going to take something on or not. I give it longer than that, but it's also so clear to me in just reading the first page, reading the initial query, and then reading the first page, whether it's a journey I'm excited to embark on. And and then it, it does also have to do with the background of the writer. I, I think if it's evident in the query and their biography that they're serious about writing. And for me, that doesn't have to mean that I mean, there's certain I don't know, pedigrees that writers, especially in like the Anglo-Saxon world often have. And sadly, some of those still do make a huge difference to the gatekeeper, like the publishers, the editors that you would eventually be submitting a work to. And yet I feel like decentralizing publishing is almost part of my mission now. I don't necessarily put as much stock in the status symbols or like the traditional publishing pedigrees, but there are other ways that you can tell if a person who's querying you is really serious about being a writer. That's interesting what you said about wanting to decentralize publishing because I think a lot of people in any creative field, they wonder, will the person who is the gatekeeper judge me based on my book, based on my ability, or will they judge me based on if I won this prize or I'm the cousin of whoever, or I participated in this reading or this event. You sound like the kind of agency that people would like to find, but <laughs> that they're not sure if exists out there. So is it harder to sell a client, an author to a publisher if this person doesn't have this pedigree, even 
even if their work is amazing? Yes, I think it is. And yet I think that if you've demonstrated even in your own community or like your own network the best that you can, that you've applied yourself to writing. I mean, maybe you've won a prize or even been a finalist for a prize that is only known in Spain, but not in New York or London, then to me, that would mean something. I mean, it's got to come down to the work. Ultimately, it's about the work itself. And if someone's storytelling leaps off the page and like makes you fall in love with it from the first pages, then, then yeah, it doesn't really matter what your bio is. But it's constantly a kind of balancing, in my assessment, the work is sort of most central in my mind. But I know that most publishers, especially the big ones, are going to be much more convinced by a writer that has kind of come through channels that they know and value. And so the work has to be super strong in order to convince them to take a chance or to not be looking for the usual markers that they would be looking for. You work with a really diverse roster of writers and some of the themes that they write about, such as racism or the immigrant experience, the indigenous experience, gender fluidity, all these issues that these days people talk about a lot. It's on the news all the time. I mean, it's everywhere on social media, but you have always worked with writers who delved into these kinds of stories from what in the past would have been called and still are in many ways marginalized communities. So now that these themes are kind of mainstream talking points, not to say that these people's lives have suddenly become easier, but now that everyone's aware that there are all these alternative narratives out there, first of all, has that made promoting some of these artists that you're excited about any easier? And also what drew you to these kinds of stories even before it was considered important to pay attention to them? Uh, yes. I mean, this I guess, opening up that's been going on. I mean, definitely 2020 was a pivotal moment with the explosion of Black Lives Matter into white people's consciousness. And, but it goes back. It was before that, that there were changes starting to take root in at least the US and UK publishing industries. Not much before that, but and so for those reasons, because of those changes, because of the more diverse people that have entered the publishing industry and also who are getting published, that makes me feel kind of every day that these are the best years in, I don't know, the history of literature, certainly in my lifetime in publishing. At the same time, it's a much more complex picture than that. And, and you can tell in pitching, I mean, it used to be just down to an author's name. Like when you look back at who was getting published before 2015, literally, like if a writer had a, a Latino name in the United States, or if they had it in a, like a African sounding name, or especially Muslim sounding name, they just weren't even being considered, I think. And now you see books by people with all kinds of names, all kinds of faces, all kinds of voices. And yet I think it's still, I don't know. I mean, there was this pen report that came out at the end of last summer, almost a year ago, assessing publishing industry in the US since 2020 for how much diversity initiatives had taken root or how much difference they'd made. And it was actually very sobering 
the kind of overall conclusion of the report is that everything that has changed is actually very superficial, not nearly what public perception would be, that there's much more work to be done. So, for example, I think one issue this year especially is the rising costs of living in the UK, in Europe, in the US. I mean, there was a surprising boom in book sales during the pandemic, where it turned out that people turned to books with all the time at home that they had, more time for reading, but that is falling off now and we're getting back to, I mean, we're still above pre-pandemic book sales, which is good, but there's definitely a drop off. So there's economic factors that I think are actually making publishers much more cautious now about any project that they see as, as being risky, as being not an obvious moneymaker. And many of those kinds of projects, it's often marginalized writers. So I think now, even though more doors are open for these writers, there's more pressure on what kind of book are you going to write to get in the door? Or who are you writing for? I mean, that's always a kind of complex question that I think marginalized writers are always having to answer, which isn't necessarily fair because it's not really a question that white writers were ever really asked or expected to answer to. It's complicated. I mean, overall, I feel more positive than negative, but there's a lot that's still very challenging. And what drew you to these stories in the first place? Because this has always been sort of the kind of stories that have seemed to really interest you or excite you in, a, in mm. trying to get their work out there. Something obviously drew you to these authors before. It was cool. I think about that a lot and it feels so natural to me. And yet, I guess it's not something that comes naturally to everybody. I mean, even though I came from a prosperous part of New England, I went to the best schools, but I never felt myself to myself that I was defined by all of that, or that my tastes in what I wanted to read what I was curious about, what moved me, like those things were never circumscribed by the kind of places that I grew up in. I think that is very much how I connect to my writers because nobody wants to be put in a box and the idea that like you're expected to read certain kinds of books because of your own racial or cultural identity. Nobody wants to feel that way. So I guess that's just something I've always felt very open to since I was first starting to read. And I wanted to read more writers of the world. And I read as many of them as I could kind of come across, which actually was barely any. Now I realize every day how many amazing Black writers from the past 20 years that I still haven't read or like how many Latino writers or Central American writers I still haven't read. You're constantly being reminded of all the wonderful writers that you haven't read yet. But I think it's more about what you're drawn to. I, I don't feel like I have the kind of the same filters or like tunnel vision in my brain that I guess many of the I don't know, publishing gatekeepers or uh, decision makers have traditionally had. Um, 
Is there any particular author or any particular project that you're really excited about that you're working with right now? Well, all of them. <laughs> yeah. All of them. <laughs> this is like the stack of my 2023 nice. releases. And what is it? About a fifth or sixth of my overall list. But I would say the writer that's on my mind most is Jack Chang, Chinese American Midwestern writer of children's books, middle grade books, but they're written and published in a way that if you're not age 10 to 14 and you're an adult, you would happily like pick one of these up and absolutely love reading them. Jack was actually my very first client who I signed up and started working with. And his first book, See You in the Cosmos, was published in 2017 and it sold in a lot of languages. Like there were simultaneous auctions in the US and UK for this book. It ended up being published by Penguin on both sides. And then we did translation deals in 23 different languages. And it does have this really sort of universally appealing message and, and character. He's an 11-year-old boy who's a Filipino-American and very much alone because his mother, who he lives with, well, you find out later on that she's actually dealing with some pretty serious mental health issues. But being 11, he doesn't really understand. His all-time hero, who kind of keeps giving him hope and inspiration, is Carl Sagan. And he finds a stray dog who he calls Carl Sagan. And the book is like full of astronomy jokes. And there's a wonderful sense of humor throughout it. But it also touches on some really kind of serious and sensitive topics in a way that young readers can really feel seen and heard. And then it's been like six years that Jack has been writing his second novel and it just came out last week. And it's a very different book, but it still has so much heart in it. And it's a much more personal book. It's really drawing on what it was like in Jack's own experience growing up Chinese in Metro Detroit. It's about a boy named Andy who doesn't know what kind of person he wants to be. And there are so many different messages he's getting from the kind of key people in his life that are all kind of contradictory. I just love how it's the story of this family and the intergenerational relationships and really how he discovers through the course of the novel that he wants to be an artist. And, and it's something that he kind of starts off doing very secretly in a way, because I think a common sort of theme in first generation immigrant families is you don't tell your parents you want to be an artist like they <laughs> like working so hard and like going through all kinds of difficulties in order for you to be a doctor or a lawyer or a engineer or and I love connecting with writers that have had that kind of yearning to be an artist to be a writer from a very early age and have had to kind of keep that growing despite all the messages they're getting even from within their own families. Thank you so much, Jessica, for spending time with us here on the Metropolitan Culture Corner. Uh, these conversations could go on for hours. Maybe it wouldn't be so fun for the guests, but I would just be encantada to learn all about their lives for the whole rest of the evening. At the least, we got this snippet of wisdom from Ms. Jessica Craig, and every month we have a different guest on our monthly video series where we go behind the scenes and we learn what inspires them, how they got started, what advice they have to give, 
give their view on the current state of their industry, all kinds of cool stuff. So if you've missed all the behind the scenes awesomeness these past couple of months, don't worry. Our entire archive is on the Barcelona Metropolitan YouTube channel, on the website and on SoundCloud as a series of convenient, easy to listen to podcasts. Brought to you by Barcelona Metropolitan Magazine, brought to you by me, Tori Sparks. And thank you to all the inspiring guests who lend us their time and share their stories. Thank you to you for tuning in once a month and supporting local art and culture. See you next month. Thank you.